WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts, and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation. Plus, MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Each week, we take you inside the biggest local and state stories of the last seven days. Stories like these. Governor J.B. Pritzker is reimposing the mask mandate for indoor public spaces, and all teachers, school staff, and healthcare workers must get vaccinated. Unfortunately, our current vaccination levels are not enough to blunt the ferocity of the Delta variant hospitalization surges. Parent advocacy groups say their petition demanding a remote learning option this fall has more than 5,000 signatures. The FDA's full approval was expected to bring more ease, but the Fraternal Order of Police says they are not ready for a vaccine mandate. If it's a mandatory uh, condition of employment, then that must be negotiated, and that's pretty well settled in labor law. With us to bring context to those stories and more, Bill Cameron, longtime City Hall reporter for WLS Radio, from which he just retired last week. Welcome to Reset, Bill, and congratulations. Hi, good to be back on DEZ. And Cassie Walker-Burke is with us, Chalkbeat Chicago Bureau Chief. Welcome back, Cassie. Thanks for having me. Let's get right into it. Big announcement this week, folks. We'll be wearing masks indoors again across the state starting Monday. Bill, you think the public was surprised that the governor reinstated this mask mandate? I don't think so because of what's happening downstate in particular. But I should probably begin by saying there is good news in the city. The uh, test positivity for the city of Chicago is down to 4.2%. Other uh, COVID metrics are down. But uh, Pritzker is acting mainly on what's going on downstate where there's some resistance to wearing a mask or getting vaccinated. And so he calls this a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So mm-hmm. really not a surprise that this happened. Cassie, the governor also announced a vaccine mandate for anyone who's working in K-12 higher education or health care. So how are teachers unions responding to this? You know, teachers unions have said they support the, the vaccine mandate and that teachers who want to opt out, you know, have the option of testing. They have to submit to weekly testing, but the, the unions are backing the mandate. As Bill points out, at least the positivity rate is is headed in the right direction for now. Um, Now, in Chicago, our mayor announced earlier this week that all city employees must be vaccinated by October 15th. Bill, how are the city workers responding? Well, the police union in particular and other police groups don't like it. They, after all, are the folks who uh, put handcuffs on others, and they don't want uh, that done to them, so they're resistant. And the... uh, Always controversial, John Catanzara of uh, the FOP Lodge dropped a bunch of F-bombs and compared this to uh, Nazi Germany and the Holocaust, 
thinking that uh, that's what Lightfoot is doing, that kind of uh, political action. Wow. He said that uh, she's lighting a fire under the officers. Now, I don't know how many cops actually think that, but uh, I guess it would be news if Kat and Sarah had anything positive to say about Lori Lightfoot. Is it within her power, though, the, the mayor, to, to force the police to get vaccinated? It is. It's a condition of employment which has to do with public health. So I think she's on firm legal ground. Police make up about 40% of the city's employees, right? So, so Cassie, if they don't get vaccinated, can the mayor realistically demand that of other city workers? Well, I mean, you know, we saw the mayor or we saw the school district go ahead and mandate um, vaccines for teachers even before city workers. So, you know, I think that she can. You know, I think that she can move ahead. And we're seeing this happen in other cities. New York did this a month ago. San Diego has moved to do this. So this is, you know, Chicago is not the only city moving this way. This is really, though, just... uh when it comes to the mayor and police, it's it's the latest in a long string of conflicts between them. Right, Bill? That's right. And we're going to have about a dozen candidates challenging the mayor in 2023. Uh, some of them will come from the ranks of these two unions. So, um, you know, the other thing, the question that begs in my mind is, why wouldn't you want to get a vaccination against something that can kill you? I mean, cops deal with the general public every day. So, I, I mean, I was baffled at, at so the, the pushback. Sounds political to me. This long string of conflicts, though, can you just kind of bring us up to speed as to what does it stem from? Well, the CTU back Tony Preckwinkle, you'll recall, in the last election, she made it to the runoff but lost all 50 wards. Lori Lightfoot got uh, elected on a reform promise by carrying all 50 wards, really remarkable. And uh, she's been trying to push that in several fronts with some social equity in most of them, but she's beginning, uh, she got a lot of resistance. So this creates the political issues that uh, will make her perhaps vulnerable next time around. But who knows, maybe not. You can't beat somebody with nobody, and we just have to see who the challengers will be. Mm -hmm. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Weekly News Recap. With us this week are Chalkbeat Chicago's Bureau Chief Cassie Walker-Burke and Bill Cameron, who's in his first week of retirement from a long-time career as City Hall reporter for WLS Radio. Uh, Sticking with you, Bill, uh, with COVID surging, um, four more states were just added to Chicago's travel advisory this week. So now it covers uh, 43 states. What are your thoughts on how this impacts tourism here? This one is, sounds worse than it is. It only applies to the unvaccinated who, when they go to one of these states and then come back, the unvaccinated have to quarantine for something like oh, 10 days. But most travelers are vaccinated, so this sounds worse than it is. What about our local airports and, and the travel industry as a whole? Do you think it could have impacts there or make any kind of dent? Well, it could, but um, the best advice, the common sense advice that occurs to me is don't be in a small space like an airplane, especially if you're not vaccinated. Well, yeah, sounds very, very matter of fact. Cassie, uh, I want to switch to talking about schools. That's something heavy on my mind as a parent. Um, You know, another big thing uh, that folks are thinking about, and that's Vaccines and masks, they're being debated in school districts all across the state. 
are you seeing tension uh, between state officials and, and some suburban and some downstate schools who um, over who makes these COVID decisions? You know, we, we're definitely seeing some pushback to be, but, but but to be clear, the state has now said there is a universal mask mandate for anyone in a public school. Now, some school boards have decided, hey, we already made our rules before this came down. We want to stick to our rules. We're not going to change our minds. And so the, the state school board has actually acted to put those districts on probation. And those numbers have hovered any given day between 40 and 50 districts on probation for not following that state mask mandate. And so, you know, I think this is going to continue to be an issue that, you know, certainly there's some parents groups that have formed. You see them on Facebook. You know, they, they're pushing back against this. Certainly um, some school board meetings have gotten heated, but the state has come in and said this is really not an optional um, standpoint. The other thing that I think is interesting is that you started to see some cases, some outbreaks at schools that have reopened already. And at least two of the campuses where there were outbreaks that were reported in the past week, those were in districts that had flaunted the state mask mandate. So health officials have said this is evidence mm-hmm. that what we have is, is that there's a reason for this. And of course, there's pushback. Um, yeah, well, good issues. yeah, well, for sure. Well, roughly... 48 public school districts and eight private schools across the state are on the Illinois State Board of Education's non-compliance list. Cassie, first of all, what is this list? So this is a list. This is actually really interesting to see happen. Um, You don't always see the state school board jump in um, with this sort of approach, but the state school board acted very quickly. And so this is basically a non-compliance list. And so a district that is um, not following the mask mandate will end up on this compliant, will end up on this list. They get a probationary status. And one of the, um, one of the things that can happen with probationary status is that your athletes cannot go play in playoff games, for example. So there are really punitive measures. And so you're starting to see some districts go back and revisit those decisions once they've been put on this list. And some private schools have already uh, reneged. Oh, wow. Um, so what, yeah. what, what does that mean then for a school or, or a district? To be on probation, I mean, to be on probation could mean, you know, you're penalizing your student athletes. It could, you could, your funding could, could come into question. I think there's all kinds of things that could happen. Um, right now we're pretty early in it, but I do think that you're seeing this aggressive action from the states so that um, to try to keep the numbers of noncompliant districts down. As school is just starting in Chicago on Monday, CPS is pulling back on some of its COVID safety measures. So remind us, Cassie, what changes were announced this week? Sure. So school starts on Monday in Chicago and and the district said on Wednesday morning, I believe, that it will drop the daily electronic COVID-19 screener. So any parent in the district is familiar with this thing. Um, some schools used it with fidelity in the spring, some didn't. But you basically had to fill out a symptom checklist for your kid before they went in onto campus. So that will no longer be required. It's now an honor system. Um, the district is also saying it's no longer going to take temperature screens at the door, saying that's just not a reliable measure of whether somebody has COVID-19. Um, one thing that is interesting from their announcement this week is that the district has said that if it does have to quarantine students, for example, 
non-vaccinated students who come in close contact with a COVID-19 case, they're going to bring back simultaneous instruction, which was very unpopular with teachers, unpopular with the teachers union. And that for people who aren't familiar is when a teacher has some students in a classroom, some students who are quarantined at home and has to basically teach to both kids in a classroom and kids on a screen. And so they said they're going to bring that back. And I think that that was one of the reasons why the announcement was delayed because the district is still in negotiations with the teachers union over a reopening agreement. Well, have any parents been requesting that option to to keep their kids at home? There's been actually quite a push. There's been a survey among parents groups, about 5,000 parents, I believe, have signed on to a survey asking for a broader remote option. But I think that that Um, this storyline gets a little muddled because at the state level, the state has limited when districts can offer remote options. And the state has said that districts can only offer remote options when um, to students who are medically fragile, essentially. And so it's not something that CPS can essentially just flip a switch on and broaden its access to its virtual academy. Still, parents would say they could have made it a little bit easier. They could have communicated better. Mm -hmm. As of this week, there were only about 700 signups for the applications approved for the virtual academy in a district of 341,000 children. So it's just such a tiny, tiny sliver. Yeah, I I can tell you I got a letter um, already from my daughter's high school um, that uh, was talking about uh, a child in the soccer community had been in contact with someone who had tested positive for COVID. And I thought to myself, oh, great, here we go. Here's the start of these yeah. letters. Are other parents concerned about, about this or about, you know, their their class getting quarantined or... Parents are extremely concerned. I mean, I think every parent you talk to, I think, is, um, is, you know, people feel differently, but I think there's some relief for working parents that kids are going back full time. I think, you know, we have to recognize that there's a lot of trepidation and fear and um, concern about risk. I think a lot of school supply lists went out, I know, for my kids, and there was a whole lot of like wipes and baby wipes and Clorox wipes. We picked ours up yesterday (laughs) and I was like, sanitizer, okay. (laughs) Right. But I mean, you know, we're getting billions, billions with a B of money from the federal government to buy such things. And so, and not we as parents, the school district. And so I think that that doesn't maybe send the greatest message to parents that we're bringing our own Clorox wipes to school. But, um, you know, I certainly know that from talking to parents that a lot of people are nervous, but there's just a mix of emotions right now. I mean, we have to remember that kids have not been in school full time in Chicago for more than 500 days. That's an incredible figure when you think about it. Wow. And so, of course, this is going to be a time where people are really um, nervous. Bill, what are your what are your thoughts here? You know, CPS, as I said, is, is pulling back on some of their COVID safety measures. We've got parents kind of confused and, and nervous. What are your thoughts on what might have motivated CPS to make some of these changes? Well, they're following official guidelines of the CDC about what is appropriate and proper, and that's probably checkably true. The other thing we should include in this discussion is that there's a lot of research out there, according to City Hall, that uh, kids, for their own mental health and development, need the socialization of being with their fellow students in school, that the isolation of the remote learning needs to come to an end and we need to get kids back in school yes safely but you know it's as important for them to be with other kids Mm -hmm. the isolation issue is so important Uh, it's something we focused on i feel more so earlier in the pandemic but you're right bill I i feel like folks are forgetting that that it that was a real problem 
So true. So true. And the kids probably want to be back, too. Of course. They're so anxious. Um, Cassie, where are we at? I'm curious. The search for the new Chicago school CEO. Where's that at? I mean, I think this is such an interesting story right now as the nation's third largest school district tries to reopen schools that... The, uh, you know, at the top, we're searching for a new leader. The the mayor had said at the top of the summer that this was, you know, obviously a priority for the city, that someone would be in the job by August. It was going to be an aggressive search. Well, here we are. School's about to start and we still have an interim CEO showing that these are difficult. I mean, these are difficult decisions. Um, there are two, at least two confirmed finalists. One is Pedro Martinez, who is the current superintendent of the San Antonio Independent School District. It's a super interesting school district. If you've been watching what's happening in Texas. Um, Martinez is one of the superintendents there who has defied, um, actually, you know, the the governor there had said that um, public entities could not require masks. Um, Martinez has defied that and said that, you know, there will be a mask mandate in San Antonio. There will be a staff vaccination mandate. He's also, I should note, he's a graduate of Juarez High School here in Chicago. He was a CFO under um, Arnie Duncan. So he definitely has ties to the district, which the mayor has said early in the search, she really wanted to try to find somebody who was a member of the the Chicago Public Schools diaspora who had had some sort of connection here. And so Martinez does. That's Chalkbeat Chicago Bureau Chief Cassie Walker-Burke. Also with us on The Recap is Bill Cameron, longtime City Hall reporter for WLS Radio and new retiree. Cassie and Bill, let's get a little preview on some of the other big stories that we're hitting this week. Blistering report from the city's inspector general suggests ShotSpotter technology is not delivering. ShotSpotter alerts only very rarely lead to recovery of evidence of a gun-related crime. Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown is seeking to fire four officers. The case stems from a 2019 incident in which one of the cops allegedly choked a handcuffed suspect in a squad car. Five years after the site was first selected, construction finally underway at the Obama presidential Center in Jackson Park. Could Chicago's Thompson Center become a water park? It's one of the ideas submitted in a contest looking for ways to reimagine the landmark building. All right, let's get back into it. My panel today is Chalkbeat Chicago's Bureau Chief Cassie Walker-Burke and Bill Cameron, who just retired as City Hall reporter for WLS Radio. Bill, uh, as you just kind of heard there, Chicago's Inspector General made headlines this week. They issued a scathing report about a gun detection system that's called ShotSpotter. Tell us more about this technology and what the IG's report said. Well, what it is is an acoustical device that detects the report of a gunshot around the neighborhood where it is located. We've got lots of these in high-crime areas, and they uh, are a favorite toy of cops because it tells them where to rush and find somebody who's shooting. But the inspector general's report, which is comprehensive, says that in less than 10% of the cases, it leads to actual evidence. And it actually creates problems because uh, you'll remember uh, Adam Toledo was killed after being chased after one of these shot spotter incidents. Mm -hmm. He had tossed his gun at the last second, but the officer who thought he was defending himself didn't see it and shot Adam Toledo. And we had a couple of cops killed in a rail yard some years ago who uh, were reported responding to a shot spotter report. They uh, crossed the tracks where there was one train and didn't notice another coming the other direction. And as they were thought they were pursuing somebody, they got killed by that oncoming train. 
So the shot spotter has problems. Mm. It's a multi-million dollar contract that uh, the mayor renewed uh, out of public view recently. It's like a $23 million contract. So um, I'm not sure a shot spotter is more than a, a toy. Well, in other police news, uh, Superintendent Brown wants to fire four police officers uh, that they were involved in a choking incident. Uh, what details do we have on that? Well, we know that uh, they stopped in 2019 on a, at a street where somebody was blocking traffic, and they pulled the guy in, handcuffed him, and threw him in the back of a squad, and the guy started giving him lip. And uh, this officer started choking him, the allegation is. And David Brown, the superintendent, wants to fire him, along with three other officers on the scene who didn't do any choking but didn't do enough reporting of the excessive force. And so at a time when there's uh, lots of attention on curbing police uh, out of control, uh, all four officers are being recommended for firing. It's up to the police board to make the final call. My guess is they might uh, fire the choker, but give something less to the other three. Mm -hmm. Cassie, uh, let's turn to you for a second, because police also made headlines in a story that involves schools this week. Apparently, cops are going to remain at least temporarily as security guards in schools that actually voted to remove them. That is correct. So... There has been a process unfolding in Chicago public schools for more than a year where schools are having more say in whether they retain police officers on campus. Now, we're really talking about high schools in the city, so we're not talking about every school. We're talking about high schools. And the the public school district has an ongoing contract with the police department and pays for um, pays for those officers and their benefits, I should note. And so local school councils have voted whether they want to keep these officers. And in some cases, at 23 schools, um, this, this past summer, uh, uh, school councils voted to remove at least one officer. Many had two stationed. And the district has, the district said this week in a letter to these councils and to principals that they essentially were going to, you know, assign an officer there just for a little bit while they figured out some contract details and while school went back in. The district has said this is temporary, but people are really upset because they feel like they were asked to make these decisions. These decisions in some cases were thrust upon school councils that didn't have much training um, about about this subject, and they had to do a lot of work around it quickly. And then now the, they feel like some of their decisions are being disregarded. And, Bill, we have to get to our final story involving police here, and that's the shooting at the Kankakee Courthouse yesterday. What happened? Well, this is apparently a dispute by a street gang you probably have heard of, but I don't want to mention on the radio because I don't want to glamorize them. But apparently uh, a couple of gangbangers leaving court after some call in court, and they were accosted in the parking lot by a gunman. There was a big shootout. Two ended up dead brazen street violence. You know, I've covered nine mayors in the city. This, of course, is Kankakee Courthouse down Mm -hmm. in Kankakee County, but the violence is becoming so brazen that it occurs right out in the open, right next to a courthouse in this case, and, uh, you know, all, all these nine mayors have had the same problem to confront. None of them can contain it, much less control it. It is uh, out of control. And as uh, Eddie Johnson, the one-time police superintendent, once told me, the gangs consider our criminal justice system a joke. 
and the state's attorney and others are being criticized by their uh, by their opponents as coddling criminals rather than keeping them in jail so Nothing seems to change on this issue. So scary. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're tuning in now, that's Bill Cameron. He's in his first week of retirement from a longtime career as City Hall reporter for WLS Radio. Also with us is Chalkbeat Chicago's Bureau Chief Cassie Walker-Burke. And you are listening to the Weekly News Recap. Bill, uh, some developments, uh, new developments, I should say, in the corruption case that's swirling around ex-House Speaker Mike Madigan. That involves ComEd. Where are we with that? Well, the uh, prosecution had a court date, and they told the judge uh, this past week that they don't have any information right now on a superseding indictment. That's legalese for adding somebody else to the charges of corruption in the ComEd bribery case. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the one we're waiting to be added is Mike Madigan, the former House Speaker, forced out because of this controversy. The uh, the defense for the other defendants in the case want the charges dropped because they say nothing happened except ordinary lobbying. But the government says not so because there were private benefits given in order to get their energy legislation through the General Assembly. But uh, one source tells me that uh, the center defendant, Mike McLean, is kind of like a uh, outfit Capo, who will go to prison if necessary for Mike Madigan, if there's anything to say about Mike Madigan. And he, of course, denies any wrongdoing, and we don't know of any evidence that he should be charged. But that case continues uh, at a standstill with regard to Mike Madigan. We also had some news, Bill, with outspoken alder person Carrie Austin of the far south side. What happened there? Well, she finally had to resign her post of a committee on uh, contracts and oversight, of all things, uh, after she got indicted for her real estate dealings in and around her neighborhood on the far south side. Uh, She wanted to hang in and is going to continue as an alderman, but Mm -hmm. we have the unusual circumstance right now at City Hall uh, of three sitting aldermen who are under indictment. And, Sasha, this is the other stubborn problem that never seems to go away over my course of covering nine mayors. And that's that too many aldermen just keep stealing, even though they know or should know that the feds are probably listening in. But it just keeps happening. And remind us exactly what Austin is accused of. She's accused of some real estate dealings, taking things for improvements at her house in order to provide other things for a developer. I see. Cassie, we're going to talk about some stories that involve athletics here. Um, The Illinois High School Association announced this week that schools not in compliance with the mask mandate are going to be banned from playoff games. What kind of response is this getting? Well, I mean, like everything in the COVID era, it's getting, you know, there's pushback. Um, you, you definitely have seen the the IHSA, which is the Illinois um, High School Association, caught in, you know, these difficult decisions throughout the time of the pandemic. And this is just another one. But essentially, the decision means that high school athletes would be banned from playing in a state series. And this is, you know, these are athletes who've trained and worked really hard, but it's because if their districts are under probation for um, non-compliance with the mask order, then the state said they can't play. 
Another school sports story I wanted to throw at you. Parents of two former Plainfield Central High School freshman football players filed a lawsuit. They were alleging that their teens were sexually assaulted in the locker room during a hazing ritual. These are severe accusations against the coaches in the district, Cassie. They are. And, um, you know, the the case stems from 2019. And the players are saying that they were hazed, that it was part of a regular hazing ritual that happened every year. The younger players were hazed by older players and that it happened in the locker room. I think the thing that is key here is that the, um, the, the lawsuit alleges that the coaches knew about it, that they knew this was a regular ritual and that they did not go into the locker room. They did not do anything to stop it. And so that is the issue that the school district has to face. Um, The police have said that they didn't find evidence of bodily injury and that the boys have been charged with misdemeanors. And the district has said it's tightened its safety policies. Um, But I would point out that two of the coaches in that lawsuit are still employed, according to the Chicago Tribune. Interesting. So they still have their jobs, despite all this. Well, remarkable that in this day and age, and I'm not assuming anybody's guilty, but if they are, remarkable in so such tightly controlled circumstances of, that school districts are, that people like coaches would be tone deaf to this kind of behavior being no longer acceptable. This is also the case in the Me Too movement, like uh, Governor Cuomo being tone deaf to uh, the Me Too movement as he is forced to give up his job. All right, switching gears here. Construction began on the Obama Presidential Center this week. So, Bill, give us the latest news on that. Well, Amy Comey Barrett, the new Supreme Court justice who has jurisdiction over making calls in this region, uh, did not allow a new recycled lawsuit to go forward to try to stop the Obama Center. This has been litigated to death, and without comment, she's just a not granting uh, the permission to allow this suit to go forward. So hundreds of trees are going to be cut down in Jackson Park to make way for the Obama Center. So just as construction got underway, didn't we also find out it's going to cost more? A lot oh, more? Big surprise, huh? <laughs> I think the original price tag was uh, 600 or $700 million. Well, originally $300 million, then then 500 Yeah, there's just, I mean, it would be news if something came in on time and they claim some projects occasionally do, but uh, this one's pretty much privately funded, so yeah. the taxpayer doesn't get tapped on this one. Other now, than now the grant. Other than trees getting cut down. Yeah, the grand total now, they're estimating $700 million. So it's, it's just I'm going... I'm a tree hugger, so I can't go for that. <laughs> you can't go for that. Uh, well, I do have another development-related story for you. Seven finalists were chosen in a design competition for what to do with the Thompson Center. What did some of the winners proposed for the late architect Helmut Jahn's masterpiece. Yeah, this is a, finally a fun story for the week. Uh, one of the proposals in this competition, which is not the official competition, these aren't formal proposals, but this is a couple of architecture groups uh, offering to give a prize to someone with the uh, most interesting uh, proposals. Mm-hmm. One of them is for a water park. And this, of course, is for the pink and blue all-glass Thompson Center downtown, which uh, I guess would be tailor-made for a water park, but kind of an unusual position. Another interesting proposal is for an urban farm with all that uh, sunlight coming in. Mm-hmm. But I think the uh, the big impetus here is to get something chosen, if we can find a responsible bidder, by next February, okay. so that this can get put back on the tax rolls for especially city government. 
water park, urban farm. Any of these sound interesting to you, Cassie? Well, one of the ideas that's been floated is actually a prototype of a school. So, oh. you know, could we see the first um, school water park combo? I don't know. Interesting. Uh, Bill, I got to do this before we close out this conversation today. I mentioned all throughout this uh, weekly news recap, you are in your first week of retirement after a very impressive career. So, you know, you've reported on every Chicago mayor since Richard J. Daly. Are there a couple of memories that really stand out the most for you from 50 years as a City Hall reporter? Well, the favorite mayors have got to be the Dailies, Richard J., who was like a political folk hero, and Richard M., who was a blooper fountain and left us with financial problems. Uh, But I guess my favorite mayor would have been Harold Washington. So charming, such a good campaigner. So quotable, great tape, as we say in radio, and the council wars of the mid-1980s were such fun to cover as he and Eddie Verdoliak went at it on a weekly basis. And one myth about the council wars, I should add, is that it really wasn't about race. It was about control of the money. Mm-hmm as so many things are. Oh, well, that is Bill Cameron, who just retired from a longtime career as City Hall reporter for WLS Radio. Congratulations, Bill. Thank you so much. And Chalk Beach Chicago's Bureau Chief Cassie Walker-Burke, thank you both. Thank you. Happy retirement. And that's this week's recap. To really understand the stories behind the headlines, make sure you hit the subscribe button and take a few seconds to give us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you for joining us this week. We'll see you back here with a brand new reset on Monday. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.